Are you enjoying our service today? Yeah. All right, so that's great. Yeah, so am I. It's good stuff. We, uh, we're going to dive in to our second part of our series, Gladiators, out of Ephesians 6, if you want to get ready for that. But again, just a couple of comments on what Carter said just a few moments ago on, the, uh, on our um, announcement time by video. We're excited about this March 19th launch of Grace Point in Northwood, and we're gearing up for that, getting ready for that. And some of our people that have been with us, actually I think there's 17 households that are heading over there, and we have an informational meeting Wednesday for that, but they'll be heading over there next week. But our launch is, our public launch is March 19th, and again, pumped up about that. So I hope you'd be praying about that. Well, we're in Gladiators, and so let's, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We started this last week, and we've been talking about the armor of God. That's where we get the title, Gladiators. Last week, as we started off, we, we were talking about the whole use of a military metaphor and how in today's world that can be a little concerning to some people, but the Bible uses all kinds of metaphors, and this is just one of them, and Paul used it for a specific reason. Last week, we, we talked about how using this metaphor, he taught us really that first of all, we're under command, secondly, we're under attack, and third, we need to use the armor, because of that, we need to use the armor that God's provided. And today, we, we only covered one part of the armor, which was gird up your loins with truth, and now there's five more pieces of armor that we want to talk about. And that's what we're going to launch into today. And here we go, Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. Uh, we're going to start reading right there. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So what I want us to do as we go through these five pieces of armor, I want to go through them and ask three questions. One answer these three questions. One is, what is it? Second, why do we need it? And then how do we specifically, how do we put it on? And so we're going to take the first and second question, so I'm, I kind of change this from last service, so we're not as redundant. We're going to handle the first two questions first time through as we talk about the armor. What it is and why we need it. And, and for all of the armor, it's what it is, it's the pieces of battle equipment that God has made, put at our disposal, and the reason that we need it, in a general sense, is because we're under attack. 
We're in a battle, even if you don't recognize it, a spiritual battle. And Paul takes this very seriously, and that's why he's using this type of military metaphor to begin with. And so he starts out with the breast, he starts out with the girding up your loins with truth. We already covered that last Sunday. And then the next thing he talks about is the breastplate of righteousness. And so you can imagine a breastplate in ancient times. Here's the modern version of that, right? This body armor people use in combat. And this has the plates in it. Actually, this is Matt Fox's. And his wife Lori brought it in. She hands it to me. Almost fell over. It, it's heavy. And it's made to withstand bullets front and back to stop uh, the bullets. And, and that's a modern day breastplate. That, that's what it is. And what Paul is talking about, this breastplate of righteousness, he's specifically talking about the armor that the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which has been given to us, how that protects us, use that to protect us. And, and why do we need it? Well, we need it because actually I think all people have a desire to be right. And maybe they wouldn't use the term righteous. It sounds a little religious maybe. But they want to be right. And really if you're wanting to be right, that is righteousness. To be right, to be in the right is righteousness. And people have this natural propensity to want to do that. But the problem is we're all sinners. And so we can't always be right. We are not, in fact, righteous. So what that leaves people in order to deal with that, they either deny it, they deny their position, they deny their sin or their wrongness so they can always feel right, or they justify it or rationalize it. They, they come up with reasons why this is how this is right for them, even though it wouldn't maybe be right for somebody else to do to them. It's okay in this circumstance for them to do to somebody else. They rationalize it. But what we really need to do to deal with it, because it brings shame, it brings guilt into our life, and we keep suppressing that, but what we need to do is just admit it. And that's what Scripture does for us. It gives us the truth that, yeah, if you ever thought that maybe you're not right because you've done wrong things, again, you can read through the Ten Commandments and figure out pretty quickly that you've not done that, which is righteous. Well, when you figure that out, we realize that we're actually estranged from God. Oh. And we've got a problem. We're set up against him. We've sinned against him. We've done what he says is wrong, and he's told us to do right. And so we need righteousness. We have, prob we have a deeper need of that, I think, than anybody ever feels. We've got to get this down deep into our hearts to figure this out. And we need to use these specific privileges like the breastplate of righteousness that God has given us. Um, 1 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin, that, that's talking about Jesus, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become 
the righteousness of God in him. God, if you're a Christian, has not only forgiven you your sins, and they're not held against you anymore, but he's taken away your sins and then given you Christ's righteousness that is now counts toward your account. It's like you, even though you didn't deserve it, your sin is removed and the righteousness of Christ is credited to your life, credited to your account. That's what it means to be a believer. And that's the righteousness that we need to, to wear as a breastplate. And the problem is, and, and it's true with all these, is, is they're at our disposal, but we don't put them on. How do you know when, you, when you're not using the breastplate of righteousness? Well, an example would be when you have failed, when you've done wrong before God and your desire wasn't to do that. And so you admit that to God, and then and you, you do that with a desire to follow Him. But after that, if you're still carrying around the crushing weight of your guilt, you're not wearing the breastplate of righteousness. Because as soon as we admit our sin and and our desires to follow God in this area, that's what you know, we're admitting it and we want to follow Him. We should be experiencing the breastplate, no longer carrying that guilt. We've, the guilt's been paid for by Jesus. And actually, in God's sight, we're not guilty anymore. We're, we're actually righteous like Christ was righteous. And that's how He sees us. And that changes everything in the way we live, the way we feel about our failures. And that's what God wants all of us to experience. And that's what really makes Christianity different than any other religion. Every other religion where there's a God, they have a system, a religious system. And as you follow the system, then that means you're living that system's righteous life. And then at the end of your life, you present your righteousness to that God And then if it's righteous enough, everything's great. Christianity is exactly the opposite. That's the most misunderstood thing about Christianity. Christianity is we can't live a righteous life, so God comes and lives the righteous life for us that we can't live, and then He offers it to us free. It's grace. And we could just receive it by faith. The next thing that Paul talks about is to shod our feet with the gospel of Jesus, gospel of peace. When we think of the picture that Paul had in his mind was a a Roman legion footwear, wasn't like normal sandals, actually thicker than most sandals, had protection on the top, vented on the sides. But thicker soles than normal sandals, actually they were hobnailed, meaning they they were like cleats. They had little spikes driven from the the bottom. And then that would help them. The Roman soldiers were known for their long marches, forced marches, and covering ground, and rocky ground, bad ground. As a matter of fact, there was an ancient form of landmines. They would take uh, strips of wood and pound nails into it through the wood, 
flip it over, put moss on top of it, and then an approaching army would step on those nails. And that would hobble them. They couldn't see it. Oh, well, the hobnails in the sandals would keep that from happening. So that's what was in, in Paul's mind. But, but what's it representing? The gospel of peace. The gospel. The good news is what that means. We throw this word around a lot. just means the good news of what Christ has done for us, what he offers us. And, and why do we need that? Well, it's the gospel of peace. It's interesting because people want peace in their life. For example, if, if, you, if you just had a... We have cameras around our church building. Let's say you're at home and you had access to them. And you notice like just midday on a Tuesday at noon when nobody was really paying attention. Our doors were unlocked and you see this unknown car drive up. You could tell the guy's never been here before. He's kind of looking around and then he comes in. The main door, he, he doesn't go through the office, but here to, and then he comes into this dark room right here, and he sits down, and he's sort of contemplating life. And one of us, or maybe you, because you saw that, you come over to talk to him, or one of us pastors, we come in and talk to him, and, and typically when something like that happens, we can imagine that part, a lot of times what they're looking for, they need, they're troubled, something's happened in their life, and they're seeking peace. People want peace. And they get that there's a higher power and they want the peace that God can provide them. And they're turning to God for that peace in their life. But here's the deal. You can't have the peace of God until you have peace with God. And when you say that, they're like, well, I'm at peace with God. But no, actually, Scripture's telling us none of us are at peace with God. Paul's telling us we're enemies of God. We start out that way. You'll hear people all the time, and, and, and maybe this is some of us right here in this room. When you hear somebody saying, when you ask the question, when did you become a believer? And then, and then the answer comes back this way. Well, I've always been a believer. I, I've always been okay with God. I mean, I, I don't ever remember not believing in God. So uh, that makes me a believer. When somebody answers that way, they probably do not understand the gospel. Because the gospel is the good news. And the reason we need good news is that we're experiencing, there's bad news. And the bad news is we're all enemies of God. We're not at peace with God. Even though we don't feel like it. Even though we're always okay with Jesus. That doesn't make you a believer. That doesn't make you a Christian. You can believe that Jesus existed. You can believe he's a great guy. And you can never be mad at him. That does not make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is when you realize that the wrong that you've done against God has created, actually lined up as enemies with God. But he offers a way for us to be reconciled and reunited with him. That's the good news, that Jesus came and died for us. And then the next piece of armor Paul talks about, the shield of faith. Sometimes we think of the round shields, but what... The specific word here that Paul is talking about is the big shield. It's about maybe five feet tall, curved this way. Think gladiators, Praetorian guard, you know, in the arena. Those kinds of shields, like a small door you're carrying around, basically. 
for protection. The shield of faith. And so that is the image Paul's using. What is it? It's the shield of the faith. God gives us, He makes at our disposal faith. As a matter of fact, the fact that we can even understand the gospel in order to respond to it, that's a gift from God. It's a gift He's already given us. Faith, if you're a believer. Faith. It's just, we don't use it. And why do we need that? Because this faith is how we respond to the gospel of peace with God. Faith is the way that we get what Jesus did. He, he came, he lived a perfect life that we can live, the righteousness we talked about. And then he allowed himself to be killed, tortured to death. He did that for us intentionally so to, in order to offer us salvation. He did it to pay for our sins and offer us reconciliation. But, and he did that for everybody. But you don't get it accredited to you personally until you respond to him in faith. And what that means is that you believe Jesus is who he said he was, the very son of God, and that you trust that his death on the cross was enough to pay for all of your sins, all of them. The shield of faith. That's what it is. And that's why we need it. And then two more. The helmet of salvation. Roman helmets were made out of metal. Had a little knob on top. A ridge in the back to protect the back of the neck. They had cheek pieces sometimes suspended by leather straps that were a little more movable to protect the sides. The helmet of salvation. And, and so that's what it was. And, and Paul is using it to represent the salvation that we have, which is not only this peace with God that we've been talking about, that we access through faith, but then we have this salvation. I think what Paul's getting to here is once we have salvation, it's forever. If you have true salvation, you cannot lose it. You're his, you're his forever, and he will allow you to persevere till the end. You will always be his. If you're genuinely a believer, nothing will ever change that. And you have that confidence that you take with you. So when you put on that, you can be, you can be a Christian. We talk a lot about saved and what that always means is that we are saved from the correct, right, just penalty for our rebellion against God, the wrongs that we do. We are saved from the penalty of that. We are rescued from the penalty from that. And I know people throw around salvation and saved, and I'm saved, or you saved. It gets a little, for, for, if you're new to the Christian lingo, that can get a little confusing. It just means I've been rescued from the correct penalty for my sin. Jesus took it on himself. But putting on the helmet of salvation is when we live our lives knowing with the forefront of our thought that our salvation lasts forever. And nothing can take it away, and we live with confidence that way. And then the last piece... 
is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword, in Roman times, was a short sword, two-edged, double-edged sword, one-hander, quick, mobile, movable. Notice, that's what it was. What it represents for Paul is the Word of God, which which is interesting because he started, remember, gird up your loins with truth, and now he ends with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He starts with Scripture, he ends with Scripture. But in his metaphor, this is the only piece that he's talking about, the only piece of armor that's offensive. And so what we get from that is the other pieces of armor, they can keep us from being defeated. We can avoid destruction by attack. But it's only by the sword of the Spirit that we can be victorious, that we can win. Only with the Word of God is what Paul, I think, is trying to get across to us. That's, that's what he's telling us. We've, we've got to use the sword of the Spirit, and in that way, that's the only way we take the battle, we take the fight to the evil one. Of course, the problem with all this is we can understand what it is. We can understand why we need it. But what Paul's telling us is we as Christians, we have all this at our disposal, every Christian. But we don't put it to use. We don't pick it up. We don't use it in our lives. So the question is then, because this is the most important question, how do we put it on? If every Christian has it, if God's given it to our disposal, what, what Paul's saying is, put it on. He keeps saying that, right? We read it repetitively. Put on the full armor. Put on everything. How silly would it be to be deployed somewhere like Matt Fox being deployed somewhere and then step off the plane in the Middle East or whatever part in the world and then be like, oh, whoa, forgot all my stuff. I forgot my stuff. We forget our stuff because we're not engaged in the battle. If we're not engaged in the battle, that means you're spiritually coasting. And when you're spiritually coasting, that means all of a sudden it's not important, as important to you to read the Bible every day, not as important to you to spend extra time in prayer. It's not as important to you to come to church and hear God's truth. Why? You're spiritually coasting. You haven't been challenged. God is saying the battle is upon us. We need to recognize it. But when we spiritually coast, what we're doing is all that stuff, all the spiritual stuff takes a back burner and we just get busy with mundane things in our life that don't amount to a hill of beans 30 years from now. He's saying, the battle's upon you. The enemy is real. Arm up. Get in the fray. Get in the battle. Take up your weapons. Make it happen. So, how do we put it on? Again, this is something that 
He's, he's given to all of us, but we just don't use it. He starts and ends with Scripture. That's God's truth. we got to have it. It's essential. It's the foundation. It's the only thing we can use to attack. It's the only thing we can use to do damage to the enemy. That's all we have offensively. The Bible. It's the foundation. It's our offensive weapon. So that, that's what we... As a, you probably know here at Grace, we are very intentional. We try very hard to create envirom, an environment where all types of people could come in and hear about God, hear the Word of God. Whether they're non-believers or they've been believers for 50 years. What we're trying to do is learn from the Word of God to move us all a little bit closer to Jesus every time we're here. That's what we are trying to do. Now, no doubt about it, sometimes people come to Grace... And they like grace. They like our music. They, you know, they just like it. They like the coffee. They like it. And then sometimes you'll ask them, hey, what would you think about grace? And they'll be like, oh, yeah, I love grace. But what you hear less, but what I think often people are thinking, is I love grace, except grace really takes a hard line on some stuff. Just, man, I mean, wow. Seems a little regressive. A hard line on things like, you know, at Grace, they're thinking nobody should have a sexual relationship outside a committed, lifelong marriage type situation. I mean, unless they're committed. That's, that's kind of restrictive. At Grace, they're, they're thinking people have to forgive. At Grace, they're thinking Christians need to be generous. At Grace, they're thinking all this right. At Grace, we're saying our foundation and our primary weapon is the Word of God. It's all that we have. We call it, we use a church word for that, doctrine. Doctrine, it just means biblical truth. And so we've answered a primary question that everybody has to answer in their life because as people argue about morality and what's right and what's wrong and then what's changed for today where maybe today it's right because people didn't know any better in the future and all this stuff and we just ask the simple question, right, we all disagree on this. The question is, who gets to decide? And we at Grace say, God gets to decide. And we find that from the Word of God. I got no applause for service. I just want you to know that. <laughs> and we find that in the Word of God. And so, if you're thinking, wow, love grace. I, I'm, I'm great with Jesus. I, I like the Bible, most of it. But if you've never come to the point in your life where you trust the Bible where it offends you. If you've never come to the point where you submit to the Bible even where you disagree with it. If you haven't come to the point that, hey, God is smarter than I am and I need to go by the entire Bible. The entire Bible is God's truth. If you haven't got to that point, 
It's possible that you could be a Christian, but you will never be successful. You will always live a defeated life. You cannot be victorious until you at first get the foundation and wield the weapon that God has given us, the Bible, His Word, all of it in its entirety. That's just the way it is. And so you need to do a check on that. That you trust God even even when He tells you to do things you don't want to do. Or things that that seem maybe old-fashioned. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. All right, so we have this truth. But again, how do we put this stuff on? How do we put the privileges and the gifts that God has given to every believer, how do we make it work in our life? How do we put it on? Well, I think one way that we forget, it's, it's kind of like this. Remember, in Luke chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 8, is the story, if you'll remember, the disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee in a boat, and a storm comes up. Remember all this? And, they, and it gets worse, and it's kind of dicey, and they start wondering if they're going to make it. And Jesus is with them, but, but as they're getting a little panicky, they look over to Jesus, and Jesus is sleeping. And so they go to him, they shake him awake, and they're like, don't, don't you care? We're going down! And remember what Jesus does? Jesus stands up and rebukes the waves, the weather, the wind. I mean, it's like, whoa, boom. And then he rebukes the disciples. Ouch. And do you remember what he said? Matthew's telling us that he says, what are you afraid of? Luke's telling us that along with that, he's saying, where's your faith? Where is, where is your faith? He's not saying, it's, it's interesting as you read it, he's not saying you don't have faith. What he's saying is, you have faith, where is it? Why aren't you using it? Where's, where's your faith at? Get it out. Put it on. Live in it. That's how we put on the armor of God. It's at our disposal. We don't need anything else. We just need to wear it. We just need to put it on. We already have it. And and the problem is that for a lot of Christians, we can get it right on the test. If somebody asks us, well, does God make this a check? Yes. But it's not a truth that's buried deep enough in our heart that it actually changes the way we live. We're not wearing it. We know it. We haven't put it on. And Paul's saying, put it on. All of it. Put all of it on. Get ready. You're going to need it. Put it on. Drill it down into your heart so deep that you instinctively react with the truth of God's Word when trials hit. That's what he's telling us. He's already given us the gifts. We could use them as protection from the evil one. Something big's happening in my life, kind of, my life. My daughter is getting married. My youngest. Aw, yeah, aw. 
So we're in wedding mode at the Pinkerton household. Because wedding, a wedding's a big deal. But the bigger deal for me is when she gets married, she's moving to Texas. That's what I thought. Yeah, it's like... And I'm going to miss her. And, and maybe like you... I. I cannot even stand her. I'm not even capable of standing here and trying to describe to you how much I love my daughter. It just, whatever I said, it just wouldn't cover it. You know what, parents, you know what I'm saying? Husbands, wives, you know what I'm talking about? I love her. I'm going to miss her. It's, and I worry about her. It's not that I don't think she's level-headed. I, I think she's intelligent. She has good instincts. She, She's smart. I trust her completely. It's just that I've always been there to protect her. And now, Texas. Kind of bugs me. I remember once in the job before this, a part of what I did was dignitary protection. That's part of what we all did. There's 50 men in a department and and so this, this guy that we were supposed to be protecting part of the time had 200 death threats a month, and sometimes from terrorist organizations, known FBI-identified terrorist organizations. I remember one time specifically, a death threat came targeting his daughter, who was away at school. And because of that, a small team of us immediately, at his request, loaded up, and we were at that school maybe within, within a couple hours. I rented, leased a townhome that was adjacent to ter- her, her townhouse. And then three of us, we're in this empty, bare, blacked-out townhouse watching every move she made and everybody around her. If you could imagine, I mean, just a bare three-bedroom townhouse, three sleeping bags is all that was in there, and a bunch of guns, communication equipment, but mainly just filled up with fast food wrappers. I mean, they were everywhere. <laughs> And then she knew we were nearby. She knew we could be at her bedside if we needed to. She's a great person in about four seconds. And then when she went to school, I don't even think she knew this because she, she just went her normal routine, but we had a car that was ahead of her in traffic watching backwards and a car behind her in traffic so that nobody could block that vehicle, or force it anywhere without us being there with her, armed to the teeth. I hope that helped that father sleep at night because we were there. Wouldn't it be great if everybody that we loved, that we could assign somebody, somebody who was competent, they knew what they were doing, they were well-trained, and they would just be there with our loved one 24-7. Wouldn't that be cool? 
I think that's what we would all like. And then I think God's saying, what about me? And you come to realize that God can protect the ones you love better than you can, even if you're standing right next to them, right? And I know there's Calvin. I mean, she's marrying a husband. He's there too. But mainly, it's, I have to give her over to Calvin, and I know Calvin will protect her, but mainly it's God. I, I need a little more. Here's what I'm saying. God loves you as an individual, just you, more than you could ever understand and more than I could possibly put into words. Right now, God loves you that much, whether you're a believer or whether you're not a believer. He loves you more than you'll ever know. And if you're His, if you've responded to Him in faith, God has not left you defenseless. He is with you 24-7. God never sleeps. He's always there. And He promises to see you through. He will He promised that you will persevere if you're a true believer. Guaranteed. Cannot lose your salvation. Your hope is secure. But even beyond that, because there are, there is an enemy who wants to attack us. He is real. He has given for our disposal the armor of God, so that we can be protected against those attacks, the fiery arrows of doubt and hardship and trials. We can hold up under any of that, and not only that, He's equipped us to take the battle to our enemy, because the battle, whether you realize it or not, it's upon us. And if you don't feel like you're in a spiritual battle, if you're not feeling that, maybe that's because he's winning, our enemy. And we'll get busy with life. And what we accomplish today and tomorrow and this week and this month won't matter at all 23 years from now. God loves you. When you respond in faith, you're His. Nothing can change that. And He doesn't leave you defenseless. He never leaves you alone. But He provides you everything that you need. I'm getting ready to close the service. But before I do that, I just want to give an opportunity that if you're here and you're not sure where you stand and you heard me talking about, well, if you just think you're okay with Jesus and you've always been a believer, that's really not it. I don't want to close the service without giving you an opportunity to respond by placing your faith in Jesus, by responding to the gospel, the good news, by placing your faith in Jesus, and then therefore getting salvation, being rescued from the right, from the right 
consequences of your sin. And so right now, I'd like us all to bow our heads. And if that's true of you, if you're not sure where you stand that way, what you can respond to him right now in faith. And you can express that just by praying to him. And you can pray. You don't even have to make a sound because God knows your every thought. He knows everything about you, your every secret, and he loves you. Respond to faith in him and express it this way. Just put this into your own language, your own words. You can do it silently. Only God and you know if you're sincere, but something like this express to God. Father in heaven, I understand, Lord, that I have done things wrong, I'm, and that makes me a sinner. I've done things wrong against people, but mainly wrong against you. And God, I, I come to realize that you love me anyway, and you love me more than I could ever understand. And, and, and God, right now, I'm putting my faith in Jesus and, and nothing else or no one else, just Jesus. And by my faith, I mean that I believe Jesus is your son, and I'm trusting in the fact that his death was enough to pay for all of my sin, more than enough. I'm covered. I'm forgiven. I'm reconciled. I'm free. Thank you, Lord. And God, I'm asking you to help me to follow you in my life. And God, I pray that you'd equip me to live in a way that honors you. In Christ's name, amen. I'd like to keep our bow, heads bowed just for a moment, and I just want to ask you a quick question before we leave. If you made that prayer your prayer, and, for, and as far as you know, that's the first time that you have prayed in that way. If you just lift up your hand, that's all I'm going to ask you to do. We'll be able to pray for you. So starting on your left, Smith Road side, I see you back there. Thank you. Just pop your hand up and put it back down so we can pray specifically for you, even though we might not know your name. Just put it up just so I can see it and then right back down in the back. Thank you. Now on the other side, the right-hand side, you're right. Just put it up say, hey, Kevin, I prayed that prayer. Pray for me. I see you right there. Thank you. And there. Just put it up. Or hand, just put it up and right back down. Saying, hey, Kevin, I'm giving my life to Jesus. Thanks. Let's stand for prayer. Father, we thank you for these who have lifted their hands, those in the first service that have done the same to say, God, Kevin, I prayed that prayer, and Lord, I, and Kevin, I'm asking you, you pray to our Lord, Lord, that we get this right. God, I pray that you would just help them have full understanding of your love for them or just to get that down deep in their heart. And Lord, that if they've responded to you sincerely, that nothing can remove them, nothing can separate them from your love, that, that they are secure forever, but that also that you intend us to grow, to grow closer and closer to you, to equip ourselves with your armor, to, to live in a way that glorifies you. And Lord, we pray that all these who lifted their hand would experience that. Hopefully right here at Grace would be part of that. And Lord, we pray that for the rest of us as well. Lord, help us to grow closer to you. God, thanks for loving us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks for being here at Grace.
Uh, next Sunday, we're starting a, a new series called Lost and Found. You're not going to want to miss it. See you then. You're dismissed.